0: Hello and welcome to Dismantle Racism, where our goal is to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. We really do want to create a world where racial equity is the norm. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC, and today we're going to be talking about post-traumatic streets disorder. And how it differs from post-traumatic stress disorder, among other things. But before we get started today and before I introduce you to my guest today, I want us to take a moment and do what we always do and find our breath. And the reason why we do this is because we want to find that thing which gives us life and we want to tune in and center. Because sometimes when we have discussions about racism and how to dismantle it, it creates a lot of feelings and emotions within us. And we just want to be able to center ourselves and to know that we can always find that grounding place when we find ourselves in conversations about race that might be a little heated or when we find ourselves in any situation where we just need to ground ourselves. So I invite you to, if you want to, to close your eyes. If not, just to focus and take a moment to find your breath. Tune in to that which gives you life. Take a moment to connect with divine wisdom and your sacred intelligence, which is that divine part of you that helps you to make intelligent choices. Breathe in the knowledge that these choices manifest your greatness while helping others to manifest their greatness. As you breathe in and out, remind yourself that you are loved and that you are love itself. Breathe in and out the knowledge that you are a part of a shared humanity and carry within you the power to heal and to be a part of changing the status quo. Breathe in and out, acknowledging the power of one contributes to the power of community. Now take a deep breath in, sigh it out, and let's get started with our show for today. When we think about racism, it is really a means for us to hoard power. So how does one ensure that certain people are robbed of their power the way they do it is by robbing people of health, their wits their mental health, their families, their support systems and during the crack epidemic it is alleged that the government actually sanctioned these drugs and and other drugs and we saw some things come into play where we saw people who engaged in, crack were sent to prison but those people who used cocaine hmm, got a slap on the wrist there's a lot more that we could say about that but today we're going to really focus on what what really happens in the streets and how do we get to this place of dealing with the trauma of the streets So, my guest today, Justin Reeves, or better known as JD, the author, is going to spend some time talking with us about post traumatic streets disorder, which is the name of his book. And I want to really encourage everyone out there to get a copy of this book because not only does it help us to understand what it's like to grow up in the streets and the trauma of that, but for anybody who's dealing with trauma, I believe that JD discusses how we can move from that trauma into a place of healing. But it is relevant to us today as we talk about dismantling racism to really get a glimpse of just how unfair and how inequity exists in the streets. And so when we tell people uh, to do better, to show up differently, we have to know how trauma plays in their lives. And for those people who say, I pull myself up by my own bootstraps, you have a different story perhaps than someone who grew up in the streets. So I'm delighted today to talk with this this young man, Who is the father of uh, three boys? He's a single dad, in fact, and he is raising his boys and he wants them to have a different life than he has, which he will discuss. I won't say all of that in um, the introduction, but JD shares with us that even during the pandemic, he had to battle with being in a shelter and what that meant for him, but yet he still is overcoming every single day the challenges and still able to write a book. And I think that that is so significant because J.D. has a story that he wants to share with the world. And he has a story that he wants to share with other folks who are in his situation to know that indeed you can overcome. So J.D., Justin Rees, but J.D., the author, welcome to Dismantle Racism. I am delighted to have you here today. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. JD, I want to start out um, in reading your book. I, I love the introduction. I love the way that there were so many people that you really wanted to thank for being a part of your life. Good, bad, and indifferent. You thank them for being a part of your life, but you first and foremost, you gave thanks to God. So talk to me a little bit about your grounding. Not that it doesn't necessarily have to be what your belief systems are, but like, how, do, how does having this belief in God ground you?
1: Um, for me, basically, the belief was like having, having that to believe in, having God to believe in, understanding that, that I'm not alone. Like even when the times I felt like I was alone and the times when I was in my darkest, just the belief alone sometimes got me through.
0: Mm, mm. Well, you know, J.D., it's interesting because some people would say, how do you still believe in in a God that you you've gone through all the struggles that you've gone through? What what keeps you believing despite what you've gone through? Um, it's because of some of the things that happened in my life,
1: like the way my life has been so abnormal in the way that the like especially as I got into like my adult years like my my younger years was a lot harder to believe. I'm not gonna lie, it was a lot harder to believe because of how the things I went through. But as I got older and then as things aligned and as things got taken care of and that was just out of my control and it was like every worry I had got taken care of without me, like as soon as I asked for it, it gets taken care of without me going to somebody and it just was like, okay, yeah, yeah, that's definitely, there's definitely God.
0: Mm. So here's what I wonder. Um, you know, your book is so encouraging because even in the beginning, just in the introduction, like before you even get into the book to know everything that you've been through, it's so encouraging in the way that you tell people to continue to hold on and continue to just, you say, grind till you get everything you want. Find a lane and flip that money legally. Start a business, get your LLC and find your way out. It seems that you really are using your life to be encouraging to folks to say, if I can do it, you can do it. And what I also loved is you said, if you can run a drug enterprise, you can run a business. And I appreciate, given all that we know that you've been through, and given the, how the system was stacked against you, that you keep holding on and you keep saying, we can do this. And you certainly have seen some ways in which your life has changed. And so before we get into just how you are encouraging other people today, in addition to the book, talk to me a little bit about your life. Share with us your life in the streets. And I know you won't have time to do it all before I break, but (laughs) but why don't we start a little bit from your early childhood? Tell us a little bit about that.
1: All right, my early childhood, um, I was born to a a drug-addicted mother um, who was addicted to to crack cocaine. Um, I was given straight to the system from birth. So I grew up in foster care, especially in my earlier years. So I bounced around from house to house. Um, I eventually got adopted but by the time I was adopted that I, I had experienced so much damage and so much damage was done that I couldn't even I couldn't receive the love that even if it was love trying to give to me, I couldn't receive it because the things I've experienced from just from then to the time I got adopted at like 10 and a half. So I, w- I was like, my only hopes was looking at the people in the street. Like I used to look up to a lot of guys in the streets because I felt like they had it all figured out. Uh-huh. Like in, in our in our environments where we see people getting like harmed or shot or or things, it's like these guys find a way. These guys some, some most of them stick together. They feel like they, they build a bond, they build a brotherhood. And and I just wanted to be a part of something that, that meant something. It felt that felt like it meant something. Uh-huh. So it, it pushed me that way. I ended up um start, started dipping and dabbing in the streets and, and ended up incarcerated young and in, in and out of juvenile detention centers.
0: So what was that like for you when you, you know, first went to Juvie? Did you believe that there was a different way for you? Or did you think that this is my life's journey? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. Okay. So I was asking you when you first went to Juvie, did did it feel like, okay, this is my life? Because I've heard a lot of young people say that because I used to work in a juvenile delinquent facility and folks would say this is my path right like I don't want to do this but this is my path because I have no other choice what was it like for you when you went to juvie or even when you went to jail
1: I mean I was used to being bounced around a lot so when I when I got there it was nothing it was nothing abnormal body except I was here so I did feel like it was my path I feel like I I used to hear, when I was young, I used to hear people talking about going to jail. I used to hear the jail stories and how they say going up north. So I already knew in my mind, I'm probably going, this is where I got go to go too. I thought it was like a stripe. I thought it was a cool thing. I thought going to jail was, was something cool, to be honest, when I was a kid. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. And so for you, then, it's like, this is just another part of my life and I got to deal with it, it sounds yeah. like, from what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, basically.
1: Basically, mm-hmm. that's what it was for me because it was, like I said, I, I, I was bounced around so much that I just, when I, by the time I got there, it, it was just like, whatever. Like when I walked in there, the first time I got like my first day in there, it was like your mom and dad ain't, you ain't got no mommy and daddy here. And I told him, listen, I already don't got a mom and daddy. So this don't really, this don't, it didn't really phase me. So I, right. I just picked up so I, and I just learned it, just adapted to it. Just like everything else.
0: Mm. Do you
1: remember what you, what you went to do before? To be honest, I, I, this is a great story. I, my kids asked me, what did you want to We were riding in the car. Um, taking I was taking my son to football practice. And he was like, daddy, what you want, when you was young, what you wanted to be? And I'm going to say, I'm going to be honest with y'all. When I was y'all age, only thing I wanted to do was be a gangster. All the only thing I wanted to do was be in the streets. That's, that's it. Like, I didn't have no big goals. I didn't see myself doing anything. I, I just thought I would be in the streets my whole life. I didn't. That's
0: that was that was it for me. That was it. Yeah. Well, Justin or J.D., when we come back, I want to talk to you a little bit about that. Uh, And then I want to actually read a quote from your book about the odds being stacked against you and talk about that a little bit, because that's really what we're talking about now. How the are the odds were stacked against you because you felt like that was your only choice. So we're going to be right back with my guest today, J.D., the author. Justin Reeves. This is the Dismantle Racism Show. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. Be right back.
2: Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium sized business or SMB guy. And I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness?
0: You're back with Dismantle Racism. My guest today is JD, the author who has written a book, The Post Traumatic Streets Disorder. JD, in your book, I want to just read a quote and I want to ask you to expound on that a little bit. You say, when the odds are stacked against you, like they were against me, it's almost a sense of luck to make it out of these messed up parts. But not not like the sort of luck where you find a hundred dollars in a pair of jeans that you haven't worn in a while. It's like being forced to play Russian roulette and not dying. How's it like being forced to play Russian roulette and not dying?
1: Basically, coming up with that quote, when I when I when I was writing that, I was I was really thinking about like some of the some of the worst ways of and some of the worst things that has happened, like, like a lot, like, you know, how you, when you play Russian roulette, basically for ones that don't know, you, you, put a bullet in the gun and everybody goes around and you pull the trigger and, and you hope it don't go off on you. And, and really you not lucky. Cause it's in a sense, crazy. You're not really lucky. It's in a sense, crazy. So that's, that's why I said it's like, it's luck, that type of luck, because it's, mm. it's really like you barely make it. Like, you don't know, you don't know if you
0: most of the time you don't know if you're going to make it. So you talk about that, then the trauma of that. So let's get in to how you define post-traumatic streets disorder and how you say it's different from post-traumatic stress disorder. Talk to us about the differences. Okay. Um, to me, stress is like things
1: you're worried about. Like, when you worry about bills and you worry about, okay, what I, later something that might happen later in the day, you might be worried about your workout, you know? It's something simple. For me, I was
0: traumatized
1: by the streets. So that's one of the things, I'm sorry, my baby. It's family. okay,
0: it's okay. It's, it's what being a single dad hey. is all about, right? Say hey. <laughs> hello, hello, hello. <laughs> But yeah, so
1: okay. Yeah, okay, look at am Go back to But yeah, so
3: there's no
1: apples. All right. So to me, being trauma, i was traumatized by the streets. I realized that I'm not stressed, like mm-hmm. I'm—I I'm, know the way I am. But my problems come from the streets, like being seeing things I wasn't supposed to see my whole life. Mm. That's where a lot of my traumatization comes in. Like normalizing having to normalize pain and, mm. and seeing people die or having losing friends, going to funerals, um
0: doing well, things you thing, don't want to do
1: sometimes.
0: So it's interesting because one of the things you did in the book, you talked about how soldiers are often diagnosed with post-traumatic stress and that they have seen some of the things that you're talking about but then you you made a difference between what soldiers experience and what you experience or people who um in the, are in the streets can you talk about that a little bit yeah so like soldiers when i say that see they sign up for it
1: they they sign up for when you go in the military you gotta actually say i want to go into the military mm-hmm. i i never got to choose where i wanted to be but i didn't get to be choosing to be born in Harlem hospital. A lot of us didn't get to choose to grow up in South central LA. Um, Mm -hmm. some of the worst neighborhoods in America, none of most of us didn't choose that. Mm -hmm. So that's a lot of the difference where I, like I said, like, it really is how you look at it. Like, that's why I'm, I'm, I'm more targeting people that come from my communities, communities Mm -hmm. like mine, because we didn't have a choice. We didn't, we didn't Mm -hmm. have, we, We didn't have a choice to see those
0: guys to grow up in the worst neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. So it's really, it's powerful to me that you are talking to people in your neighborhood saying, look, you may not have been given a choice about where you were born and what you had to go through. But there are a couple of things that you do in the book that I find um, there are lots of things, but there are two things I want to just say right now. One is you talk to people in the book about mindset but you also talk to people about how uh things are normalized. And so I tell me a little bit about uh let's let's tackle what's normalized first and then the changing of the mindset because you mentioned some very specific things that you yeah. feel like people in the streets normalize. Um a lot like I said we normalize
1: pain. We we got to we uh, for some people you get used to seeing people die like That's one of the biggest things. Like death doesn't even phase me to the point. Like Mm -hmm. it depends on who it is. Like Mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't want, I didn't witness more than one person get shot and take their last breath. So when you, when you see those things constantly, when you, when you. either in shootouts and it it just becomes normal. It's like, okay, this is just everyday life. So it just becomes about surviving after a while. It's just, I'm just trying to survive. Like Mm -hmm. you just, it's day to day life. It's not even, I'm not even worried about tomorrow. I just got to get through today. Tell me about the first experience when you saw someone shot. Um, well, I was I was nine years old, um, playing basketball with a friend. Um an argument breaks out on the other court. Um, we stop and look, um, and then the shots ring off. We see a guy laying down there um bleeding, and they they tried to get us up out of there, but we already done seen what happened. So
0: mm-hmm. that was the, that was the
1: first time I was nine years old.
0: And you, and the way that you describe that, you know, you talk about what it felt like to be in that moment running to try to, you know, duck for your life. But then you talk about, you know, really, as you just said now, the normalization of that. So the first time you see it, you're in this shock. Yeah. And then the more and more you see it, it's like, okay, this is a way of life. That's the trauma right there is normalizing that. And the other piece of that then, and this is important for people who work with kids who come from the streets or adults who come from the streets. What you are saying is that because it's such a normal part, we push away everybody that's trying to help us because we figure we're going back into that neighborhood and you don't know. I've had that said to me as a person who's worked with juveniles who've been locked up. They're like, look, this advice you're giving me works well in here, but when I'm on the streets, they don't that work. doesn't work, they right? Don't. And so uh, I don't want to be in this particular situation. And so I think what's really important for our audience to know is, is that when you see people behaving in a certain way, whether it be people you see when you're driving down the street and they're cursing somebody out or they're doing whatever or pushing folks away, part of that is about I'm, I got my own pain. And, exactly. and the truth of the matter, JD, is everybody has their pain. So even people who are not on the streets, when we see them wiling out, you know, as well, we may we may give them a pass, so to speak. But that stuff is coming from their pain.
1: That's the main point. Like I didn't want like and people that's not from the street. I want them to read this book and to understand that before you judge somebody, you never know what this person's been through. Don't just don't just judge them guys on the corner just because of. They're standing there. You don't know why they stand. You don't know why them people are standing there. Some of them people. There's actually people out there that don't want to stand there. They feel like they just don't have another option. They don't know another way. That's all they've seen their whole life. That's mm-hmm. that's all, that's the only thing they've seen. So they feel like this is the opportunity. This is their way out. This is the this is the way to make it. You know.
0: Yes. Yes. And so that's why then you talk about the street disorder because then you also talk about the mindset. Exactly. And and your book begins to say, wait a minute, you have the mindset that you need to change. You have in big bold letters, I have to change my mindset because that's the disorder being exactly. a part of so so the streets is what happens, but the byproduct is that you have this mentality that you need to change. And and so how does one begin to wrap their brain around changing their mindset? When, when first, you're, you've just said to me, like, this is their choice. So you know, the I, first step is really just
1: healing and, and, and starting. You got to realize you got to first see the problem because, you know, you could tell you could have a problem. You could tell the person they got a problem, but until they see it as a problem, they're not going to change. So hmm. most people that's growing up, they don't even realize it's a problem. A lot of people don't even realize they got a problem. They don't understand it. So the first step is being identifying the problem. And then next would be the to, to talk about the problem you know a lot of us that come from especially black men we got a thing where we don't like to open up you know i'm that way like i've i've had to hold things in for so long that mm-hmm. i have i have problems talking i have problems communicating i have problems so it messed up a lot of my communication so that's one of the biggest things is, is is talking about it and, and mm. beginning to heal
0: mm. but jamie That sounds great. Right. It sounds like what I would say to the young folks that I would work with. But if you're in it, if you're it's like it's like being in a tornado. Right. If you're in it and it's twirling around, you can't see. So what are some ways to reach people to help them to begin to open up? You know, do you have advice for folks who work with people or even when you're trying to work with people to get them to see another way? How do you how do you get them to open up to that?
1: but the first like I said, the first step for me, like for people that's going through it, you, they gotta they gotta want it. They gotta they gotta know that it's a problem. If if the person you talking to don't know that's a problem, you could you could you could talk to your face turn blue. They're not gonna they're not gonna believe it because this believe it or not, there's 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 fifty old men still standing on the corner right now, yeah. That don't that, that that wants to be there. So mm. they gotta identify the problem for themselves. They gotta know that it's a problem. And mm. then then you then you could start attacking different angles and and start like because there's always something like as I got older it was like a passion following my passion what did I want to do like for me writing became a passion that's became that became something I needed to do to to heal like I wrote to heal myself mm-hmm. like I wasn't even writing for anybody else I wasn't I wasn't doing it to get exposure at first it wasn't it wasn't to get any type of money no nothing I was just this was the only
0: avenue I had, or I was going to go crazy in my mind. Like I had to write. Yeah. So you know what I hear you saying, JD is like, it's saying it, it almost has to be an internal recognition that wait a yes. minute, there's a different life that I can have. And, yes. and what I hear you saying is until that light bulb goes off in that person's head to even be able to recognize, right? Because I I could never force anybody to recognize they have a problem, just like people can't force me, right? It almost has to be this awakening. So when we come back, J.D., because we have to take a really quick break, I would love for you to talk to us about what was that wake up moment for you where you said, um, you know what? I've got to do this because it's great that you were writing and that's powerful, Um, that you were writing and it was a way of healing, but I'd love to know uh, what's the wake up moment for you. So we're going to be right back. This is Dismantle Racism. My guest today is JD, the author, and we will be right back.
2: Howdy, I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7
0: We're back with Dismantle Racism. My guest today, J.D., the author is talking about post-traumatic streets disorder. J.D., before the break, you were talking about a person has to want it bad enough to change their life. And so part of that comes with changing the mindset. What was the wake-up moment for you that there could Um, be a different life?
1: I'm going to paint a picture for you. Well, for me, um, I've always like as I got older, I started with kids early. So I've always like, as I started having kids, I had I had three kids before I was 21. So before I, as I'm getting older, I'm like, I want to, I want to do something. You just, you just don't know. You're young. So you're like, you just don't know. But the final wake up call was 2020 when, um, when a pandemic hit, I was, I was in the shelter with the boys. Um, at my, I was at my lowest, at my lowest point. Um, and I just like, was like, I felt like giving up. Like I've been, I've been there before, but this time, this time was different. Like this time was different. I got people depending on me this time. So I know I can't give up. So it's like, what am, what am I going to do? Is this going to be it? Like, is this gonna be it for me? What what am I gonna do? So I don't I don't wanna live this life. I don't want my kids to ever feel this pain I'm feeling like like I feel so empty inside, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm still trying. I'm still yeah. trying. I'm thinking, I'm thinking. What can I do? Twenty twenty one comes. One of one of my closest friends, my brother, commits suicide. Mm -hmm. I I fall back into a deep depression. I don't, I I, I don't, the sun is up. I don't even feel like the sun is up. You know, the sun is rising, but it's not rising to me. Mm -hmm. My days is dark now. My days is dark. Like this was one of the biggest losses of my life. Like I lost best, I lost one of my best friends before. I lost a few friends, but it never felt like this. This was somebody like I called my brother. So as I'm, as I'm crying and I'm venting to him, like this, this one made me cry. So mm-hmm. I'm crying, I'm venting, why would you do this? Why would you do this? Why? And I, as I'm starting to say, encouraging things to him, like I was here for you. I start hearing the things I'm saying,
3: you know, mm-hmm.
1: I, so, you know, sometimes you could talk to someone, but I started beginning talking to myself
3: mm-hmm. and
1: it was like, I can't go out like this. I got to make something happen. I, I can't let my kids grow up. I don't want my kids to have another role model. I want to be their role model for mm-hmm. anything. I want them to look at me and say. My dad been through all these things and he still found a way and he still made it. This is the guy I want to model my life after. Yeah. I don't want them to look to the streets. I don't want them to look on TV. I don't want them to look nowhere, but right here. Mm. So I uh, I buckled down and I, I said, you know what? I'm not, I'm not going to be in the streets no more. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do these things and I'm going to give my all into everything I want to do. And I'm going to go after my dreams and my passion.
0: Yeah. You know, what's really beautiful about what you're saying is, is because you've already talked about how difficult the street life is and the journey that you're having now, it's, it's not easy, right? It's not easy being a, a single dad. Um, it's not easy being in a shelter. It's not easy doing any of that stuff. But here's the thing. Your goal is different now. And you know that it can be a different life. And what I value about what you're saying and what you've said in this book is a different light for your kids because the pattern continues, doesn't it? You know, how yeah. many times have we seen, um, you know, men go to jail, a black and Brown men in particular, because, you know, there tends to be an over-incarceration of black and Brown men. Right. And their sons yeah. just continue. Sometimes their sons are in with them, but, you know, you talk about the pain And I believe it's important for folks to really understand, you know, how deep that pain goes. There's a story that you tell, it's just one of many, but you tell a story even about being in foster care. And uh, it's a story of deep humiliation that really, you know, tears, tears at the soul, right? So you compared the whole being beaten, and all the other things that you see, but there's an incident. I don't know if you're willing to uh, share it uh, about running home one day, you know, to your foster uh, parent, uh, and and there was a request that you were making. Are you real? Are you willing? Oh yeah, to I can share
1: that. I share that. Share that story and, yeah, and what happened. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what happened in this day was I had a foster mother. Um, she was like, she was one of them. She was one of them foster mothers who was really just doing it for the, she was doing it just for the money. So, um, she used to like beat on me a lot and everything else, but this, but like she'll send us, just send me outside all day. I'd be outside all day. So that's why, like I said, I used to just look up to the guys on the street because when I was hungry, I couldn't go to the house. They would, the guys on the corner, eventually they see me steal from one time I got caught stealing from the store. So he was like, man, look, huh, I'm gonna buy you something. So I'm like, wow. But this particular day I really had to go to the bathroom bad. So I run in, I run to the house, I'm banging on the door and she like, it's not time for you basically telling me it's not time for you to come home yet, you know, get out of here. So I end up using the bathroom on myself right there. And she like, well, you could take a shower when it's time to come in, but you basically can't, you can't come in now. So now I'm forced to walk around like that. I go back to the park. I'm trying to hide it and, um, I couldn't really hide it. I end up. I end up getting picked on, you know, beat up. That's what kids do. They when you're a kid, they they're gonna kids are vicious. So Mm -hmm. especially especially in the in the cities, kids it's a vicious environment. So I end up getting jumped and and picked on and everything. And it was just like wow, man.
3: Like
1: Mm -hmm. that was was, that was like, wow. This is this is this is this is life.
0: Well, you know. It's life it was the life that you had to experience, but there's so much that's packed in that story when we look at the foster care system right, and who kids mm-hmm. go to and who and, and and the overcrowding really of of foster care systems, which we can't really get into, but then how do you select the people who are supposed to care for kids and so in here, and you telling that one piece of your journey, you've talked about beatings, but you've talked about the humiliation of having to walk around after having sold yourself and then what happens as a result of that more beatings from the kids but that's something that stays with you forever does it not because these 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 kids now have a name for you right because you know how vicious kids are like you said and then you know what you can and cannot expect from that foster parent so it it starts to help you One, again, think it's normal, but it builds up this hard resolve inside of you where you say, you know what? Nobody loves me. Nobody cares about me and all of that. It puts you in a mentality, right? So either
1: either you're going to be a sheep or a wolf. You learn it young. Like I had to learn that young. Either I'm going to be a sheep out here, I'm going to be a wolf. Mm
0: -hmm. So either I'm
1: going to get picked on and get get bullied or I'm going to fight back. Okay. So a lot of the times... Me, i was not going to be a sheep i was not going to be the kid that got picked on I, I i refused i refused to be that kid so i i got into a lot of fights growing up a lot of fights and it just yeah. that's what it is i'm gonna be a wolf so it becomes you instead of, you don't want to get victimized so you you start victimizing other people you start attacking being the first to go on attack because if not then you know people are going to attack you and that just i said it's all a mindset it becomes a mm-hmm. mindset that you adapt
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then what was the thing for you, you know, in terms of talking about the role that you had to decide to play for yourself? What was the thing that led you to jail?
1: Um, armed robbery. The first time was armed robbery. Basically, just, just being stupid. Um, It's in the book. Just being stupid. Um, Like, I basically, I break down how everything is a cycle. Like Mm -hmm. I, I seen this and then it just, it just everything we go through in life is a cycle. And for me, it had, the cycle caught up to me early because I seen, I seen one of my cousins rob somebody like a few weeks prior, maybe like a week prior. And then I tried to go do the same thing, but really on some scare. Like I I fought a kid and I tried to scare him and the um, gun goes off. So now I'm in trouble. So it's just, everything just cycles around. And me understanding that life is just
0: a cycle. So I think that that's what's brilliant about what you do in the book is because you do break down this whole process that I think that other people who are looking from the outside don't think about because all they think about is why is there so much Black on Black crime, for instance. And that's the thing that people want to argue about when they talk about racism. They'll say, well, Black people kill themselves but they're not thinking about the living conditions that folks in the streets have to go through. So how do you see race playing a part in the environment in which you grew up in? Oh, it's a big part. Um, I say,
1: I say in my, a line in my book, there's a big difference of being born in Beverly Hill and South central LA. Right. Mm -hmm. Like somebody who's somebody who's spoon fed and, and got everything made for them in life. Is they're ten times more likely to become successful. They're ten times likely to 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 be a part or own a business, or, or when your parents is is setting up trust funds, than versus the kids who I only hope is is to join gangs. So we don't so we don't get picked on in the picked on in our neighborhoods. So mm-hmm. racism, I feel like, plays a big part in in environments we're in. Mm hmm.
0: Mm hmm. And I suppose that there's a when you talked about the mentality and the mindset before, if you grow up and you see people who look a certain color being the ones who have the trust funds, it makes it hard to believe that you can ever accomplish that for yourself. Exactly. Because you see, like I said, we see
1: people, we see people, we see how the people in front of us going to jail, we see all these things happening. So it's like, I guess this is going to be me too. Mm. There's got to be my future because you look, you're looking over there and you're like, that's not possible. That's not, that's not possible. We don't got two parent home. Mm-hmm. Some kids who got, I know kids who had single mothers, who mothers worked all day and the kids just left home raising themselves.
3: Mm-hmm. Where, mm-hmm.
1: You know, they don't go, they don't get to go to daycare and stuff like that. So on the other hand, when you got got other kids on the other side of the tracks going to daycare and they getting a proper teaching and they, they learning about these things, it's just, it's just completely different. It's just completely different.
0: So, You know, that brings to mind then because someone's out there probably saying, well, then why do people have kids if they can't take care of them? So can you speak to that? Because I'm thinking about that single mother who loves, loves, loves their child and they do in the street in the neighborhood right because there are lots of single parents out here jd who struggle with trying to make ends meet and they work all the time so i want people to know the discussion we're having yes we're talking about the streets but we also know that that people struggle all over and so what i'm wondering is what would you say to people then since we're talking about injustices that happen and inequities that happen people will say well then don't have kids don't have so many kids or don't do this and that what would your response be to that
1: I would say like, sometimes things happen. You can't some some like that. I mean, you kind of control, but sometimes you might be having a kid with a per, with a person that you you might be in love, or things happen. So I don't. I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say don't have kids. Mm-hmm. But I would say like you should. Some people should be more responsible. Like you know, be there. There is more responsibility you could have, but mm-hmm. people do the best they can. With a lot of people do the best they can with what they're given. And a mm-hmm. lot of our our mindset is complacent, you know. A mm-hmm. lot of us are complacent with, with, with just enough. That's mm-hmm. a, that's what comes with our community, and that, that comes that goes probably back to slavery, where we we just take whatever you give us, and we don't we don't want more. Sometimes we we might be okay with just making the bare minimum on a job, but we don't feel like we could have the top position. So we don't fight for the top position.
0: Mm. It's it's interesting that you mentioned uh, during the period where we, uh, as people of color, were enslaved because there's actually another book called Post-Traumatic Slave Syndrome where just what you're just saying, like the effects of whatever happened to us during that time is that we're still carrying that trauma within us, trauma from our ancestors. So if you put that on top of the trauma of you know growing up in the streets that's that's a lot right it's a lot it's a it's, lot it's an awful lot but jd we have to take another quick break here and we're going to be back um to you know finish up the show we want to hear a little bit about what you're doing now as you are working to you know overcome uh ptsd all right we'll be right back with Dismantle racism with my my guest today jd the author
2: Join us every Tuesday at 4pm Eastern for the Mind Behind Leadership, where we focus on what leadership really means to us and to others. We have practical discussions with the CEOs of some of the world's largest companies, owners of small businesses, and experts in psychology and behaviour to get that inside track, what to do, what to avoid, and what really happens. Join me, Graham Dobbin, at the new time, 4pm, every Tuesday, for the Mind Behind Leadership, here live on Mm talkradio.nyc.
0: We are back with Dismantle Racism. JD, tell us a little bit about, so you've written your book and um, it's getting out there. And I do want to encourage everybody who's listening today, but to please pick up a copy of JD's book because it helps to uh, really open our eyes to some of the things that people experience who are... um, who are from the streets, as JD has described it. People who are living in situations where it seems like it's impossible to hope for something different. I think it's very important for folks to be able to just have a peek into that JD, because that's all we're doing is having a peek in it by looking at your life, but it helps to increase our understanding of what people go through. And I think it helps us to uncover systems of racism as well, because we see the inequities that are there. So I want to encourage all of my listeners, please pick up a copy of JD's book and read it. But JD, you have a publishing company. So tell us, what are some of the things that you're doing now to just change the trajectory of your life? Um, Well, my publishing
1: company was started in 2020 in the middle of the pandemic. Um, I don't also just want to put my books out um, because I know I'm going to release well, I'm gonna release a lot more books, but um, I, there's a lot of people who wanna um who wanna write that's that probably need that needs a platform, and they don't know exactly how to go about it. Like, like there's there's so much talented people that's incarcerated. There's talented in people all over that just don't really have a platform. So I wanna I wanna help people get their books out, um, and get their story out, get this message out,
0: um, get this healing out. So how did you how did you then formulate your your publishing company or tell folks your journey of even getting the help because you give a lot of shout outs to people in your book. Yeah. I, I love it because you you shout out everybody. But I think the thing that I, that's important when we're talking to people about overcoming their traumas and their struggles is that there's some concrete things that you did and there's some some supporters that you uh have. So how did you, what was some of your, what are some of the supports that you got?
1: Well, um, to first I had to learn. I had to, I took a lot of courses to figure out what's the best Avenue. Um, I asked a hundred thousand questions to people who who was further advanced to me. Um, then I went about getting my company LLC, um, to make it official. And then from there, Basically, I just believed in myself. Mm-hmm. No more thing. I just believed in myself.
0: So, so just if I could just, uh, you know, sort of summarize some of the things that we have talked about here today, and things I know from in your book. There's so much we could have talked about here. You know, one thing that I hear you saying is is recognize that you have the problem first and foremost, then try to change the mindset that you have about it. But I also know that you, you went to counseling after you realized that like, Hey, wait a minute, there's, there's something here. And you probably had been through, well, I know you've been through counseling and other times in your life, because when you're locked up, they give you a counselor when you're a foster home, they get, and, and, but you talk about that being ready and seeking the right counselor for you because not all counselors are created equally. But what I also, um, know and what you were just saying is that study figure out what you want to do and find that platform for doing that and then get the um the coaches that you need because I know you had a you you got a business coach a life coach you got people to work with you
1: yeah
0: and yeah, that's got people that believe out. in me yes
1: yeah but I believe in me um and for like the people in the sh- in the streets uh a lot of your friends that, that's there they're going they're going to laugh at you they're going to laugh at you they're going to think you crazy it's going it's going to sound crazy to them i promise you it's going to be like it's going to look like you talking chinese but if you believe in yourself and you believe wholeheartedly and they, and they see you going people are going to still like they go they go they're going to crack their little jokes but they're going to respect it they're going to respect it so don't don't feel ashamed about being different that's that's my number one thing if, don't don't be ashamed about feeling different or doing mm-hmm. something different, do, going against the grain, because the way we, the way we was living wasn't right. The way we was taught, it wasn't right. And I know, I know a lot of people don't know that, but it's mm-hmm. not right. It, a lot of them things aren't right. And that's not what we supposed to be doing. We wasn't put here to do that.
0: Mm. You know what I love you say in your book. I am gonna read another quote. I people, you should still read the book. I'm just reading a few things that you said, but you said when you're specifically talking um, to people who've had these struggles, you say, to see how far I've come is proof that it's never too late to do whatever you want to do. Embrace the struggle, embrace the journey. Don't be afraid to fail and try again. You never know what God has in store for you. Powerful, powerful words to leave to people um, who are going through, right? Whether you're in the streets or whether you're, no matter what your trauma is, no matter what your situation is, you know, I'm, 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 I'm sort of struggling to find the words here for it, because I think the words that you're sharing JD are not just for people in the streets. So as you continue to do your motivational work, because I know you're a motivational speaker,
3: yeah.
0: this, this word is so true for everybody. Um, and so I appreciate that you have your, your target audience there that you're working with, but, um, yeah, it's powerful. Anything else that you want to add to that? Because there is one other, if, if we have the time, one other quote that I want to share. Okay. As well.
1: Yeah, just on, just on that right there, like it's beauty and failure to understand that. Fail, to fail is not failing, you know? That just means keep going. Like sometimes mm-hmm. you're going to fall short, but if you want it bad enough, you're going to keep going and you're going to find a way to make it work. Mm-hmm.
0: I love it. I love it. I, I really love that that, that that believing in yourself and just doing what you got to do. But again, I want to go back to something I said at the beginning of the show when you said to people, um, you know, you pretty much said. If you could be a drug dealer. And you can do business as a drug because I, I used to say that to the people that I worked with all the time, if you use your brain for something else, think about how much money you can make. And you wouldn't have to live the life that you're living. But it was hard for people to see, how do I get out of my situation? But there's something else that you you say. Um, And actually, because I know our time is running out, I'm going to hold it and I'm going to end the show with that. I want people to know, how can they get in touch with you? And what are some of the other things that you do at your publishing company? Because you do more than just publish a book. Um,
1: book. Wow. Ways you can find me: I got a website, www.jdtheauthor.com. Um, Instagram underscore jdtheauthor, Facebook, um, Twitter. Um, on some of the things I got coming up, I got a I'm I'm about to be on a book tour in, in several cities. It's gonna be announced on my website, um, and I got speeches coming up. So you're gonna see a lot of me. I'm 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 also gonna be um YouTubing. And I'm gonna keep motivating, dropping motivational videos.
0: Well, JD, there's something else that you do too. You're wearing. Oh yeah,
1: oh yeah, I wear. My, I wear my shirt. We create shirts. Um, my company also creates shirts. This shirt says, "If you're read, if you um, if you're reading it, somebody loves you." Um, it's basically inspired by my brother who killed himself. Um, I just wish that he knew somebody loved him. You know, just mm-hmm. the note, just the thought of somebody loving you could save your life and mm-hmm. stop a bad decision.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, JD, you know, when you come back again, cause you will be coming back again at some point. And by then who knows, uh, you you might've blown up to the point. It's like, oh, can I get JD on my show? But, but, but here's the thing. One of the other pieces to talk about is the mental health piece, right? Yes, but we yes. are running out of time. I want to thank you. Thank you. Thank you, JD, for being on the show and everything you brought to us today. I want to just end with this, this piece from your book, where you're talking to all the guys and ladies in the street that suffer from post-traumatic streets disorder. I say live in the moment, appreciate the good moments. Yeah, they might be few and far apart, but cherish them and always look back on them and always try to make more good moments. I do understand that all pain isn't temporary and some of it lasts a lifetime. You still got to live. It's okay to be a survivor. Just find purpose in whatever you do. And that's what I want to say to the audience today. As we leave you... Just find purpose in whatever it is that you do in life. Believe in yourself and believe that you have supporters and people that love you. Thank you so much, JD, for being my guest. Please stay tuned for the Conscious Consultant Hour with Sam Leibowitz as he helps you to walk through life with the greatest of ease and joy. Be well, be safe, be encouraged. Until next time, bye for now.